You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Snakes. Hello my radio friends. Welcome to today's program. Do you know which snake in the world has the most toxic venom? No, it's not the cobra nor the black mamba. It is an Australian snake known as the desert taipan. And the names include inland taipan, fierce snake or western taipan. One bite from this snake has enough venom to kill at least 100 grown men. The king cobra is the world's longest venomous snake. It has enough neurotoxins to kill an Asian elephant. King cobras grow up to five and a half metres long. The world's biggest snake is the reticulated python, growing up to nine metres long and weighing over a hundred and fifty or up to a hundred and fifty kilograms. These snakes are from Southeast Asia and the East Indies. Now, if you find these statistics disturbing, you might have a fear of snakes, known as ophidiophobia. If you study and care for snakes, you could probably be described as a herpetologist. Most people are afraid of snakes and regard them with caution, because snakes are dangerous. Many of them are life-threatening. It is estimated that 5.4 million people are bitten by snakes each year, and up to 138,000 people die from snake bite annually. Up to half a million of those bitten who do not die suffer disabilities as a result of the bites. There are a number of wisdoms and sayings about snakes that pertain to human life, and I like this one. Remember, it is not the snake bite that kills, but the venom that circulates afterwards that is fatal. Do not let the snake bite of another person release any venom inside you. You can control its entry, and you are responsible for every thought in your mind. The Bible has a lot to say about snakes. To call someone a snake is not a compliment. Instead, when that name is applied to people, it means they're not to be trusted and may cause you loss or harm if you take them into your confidence. Snakes are sometimes known as serpents, adders or asps. You will find mention of snakes in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and the last book, Revelation. One of the most fascinating stories in the Old Testament is to be found in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 4 to 9. The setting of the story is during the travels of the Israelite people going over land through desert country on the way from Egypt to the Promised Land, which is the area we now know as Israel and Palestine. 
And I'll read this story from the New International Version of the Bible. They travelled from Mount Hor, along the route to the Red Sea, to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on the pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. There are many interesting points that can be learned from this passage. One is that God has his limits. I know God is good, kind and patient, just as authentic Christians should be. But in the case of the Israelites, God had provided for them. Ungratefully, they wished for more, just as previously they wanted to have meat to eat. On that previous occasion, God sent quail, millions of quail into their midst, and the people got all the meat they ever wanted. They had so much that many of them got sick and died. The lesson we can learn from this is that God will supply what is good for us. He's not there for us to order him around. Our responsibility is to honour, trust and serve him. He knows what is best. On this second occasion when the people started grumbling about God and his servant Moses, God had to teach the people a lesson in order for them to realise their dependence on him. And the Bible records that the Lord sent venomous snakes, or in the King James Version it says fiery serpents among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people, obviously sorry for their grumbling, came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Pray to the Lord that he will take the snakes away. Moses prayed and the Lord told him to make a bronze snake and mount it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten and looks at that bronze snake would not die. And that is what happened. But the question is, why a snake on the pole? Wasn't the problem with snakes on the ground? Since snakes cause the deaths, how could a bronze snake counteract the poison and allow the victims to live? I believe the people lived not through some psychosomatic suggestion, but because of divine intervention. 
The snake on the pole is a symbol used today in the medical system. It represents healing. I further understand that the whole experience at that time was not just a spiritual lesson for those people back then, but also for people of all times, including the present. This was an illustration, typology, of what lay ahead. In one of the most well-loved chapters of the whole Bible, John chapter 3, Jesus was explaining the way of salvation to a learned Pharisee, Nicodemus, during the night. As recorded in verses 14 and 15, Jesus said something quite remarkable. He said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Well, was Jesus likening himself to a dreaded snake? Well, not really. But he used a parallel, showing that he came to save and not to destroy. When Jesus explained the nature of his atoning death on the cross to the Israelites of his day, he appealed to what is arguably the most fascinating of the redemptive symbols from the history of Israel's wilderness wandering, namely the bronze serpent on the pole. The bronze serpent is the clearest illustration of the saving work of Jesus at Calvary. Of all the types and shadows, there were none that showed forth the principal work of the Saviour better than this. Jesus could have pointed to the Passover or to any of the sacrificial types that foreshadowed his atoning death. But in this case, he chose the bronze serpent on the pole as the ideal illustration. And I want to share with you a number of points about that illustration. Firstly, the bronze serpent was God's means of salvation for the Israelites who were bitten by the serpents in the wilderness. Jesus Christ crucified is God's means of salvation for everyone who has been bitten by the deadly venom of sin in the wilderness of this fallen world. Number two, the bronze serpent was God's only way of salvation for the Israelites. Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation for Jew or Gentile. This was reiterated by the Apostle Peter in Acts 4.12 where he said, Salvation is found in no one else than Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Number three, the bronze serpent represented the appeasing of the wrath of God. Whoever looked at the serpent would know that the wrath of God was turned away. The cross of Christ displays the wrath of God 
as well as the turning away of that wrath. Mercy and truth meet together at the cross. Righteousness and peace are combined in the death of Jesus. Now number four. The bronze serpent was a symbolic representation of the venomous snakes that bit the people and brought deadly consequences on account of their sin. Christ represented those who were ruined by sin, taking to himself a body in the likeness of sinful flesh, yet without sin, so that he might, through his death, save those who by their own sin were poisoned unto death. He was made a curse for us that we might receive the blessings of God. Now number five. The bronze serpent was meant to remind the Israelites of the cause of their sin. It was meant to carry their minds back to the Garden of Eden where Satan came in the form of a serpent to tempt their first parents. The punishment for the sin brought into the world through the temptation of that serpent of old was laid on Jesus at the cross. The penalty for our sin also falls on him. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now we're up to number six. With respect to the serpent in the wilderness, the healing was dependent upon the word of God concerning his means of salvation. With Christ crucified, salvation is dependent on God's word concerning his means of that salvation. Number seven. As the poisoned Israelites were called to believe God's command and the broadened serpent was made the object of that command, we see that both the means and the instrument of God's salvation are typified. In the account of Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, both the means and the instrument of God's salvation are pointed out. A crucified Saviour is the means of God's salvation. Faith, or looking to him, is the instrument of salvation. Number eight. The serpent was lifted up before the Israelites in the midst of the camp, so that those who were bitten might look and be healed. Christ was lifted up first on the cross, then in his resurrection, then in his ascension, and finally in the preaching of the gospel, so that sinners might look on him and be saved. Well, the ninth point is the bronze serpent was the central and all-sufficient means of healing for the Israelites. Christ is the central and all-sufficient means of the saving work for the healing of all who believe in him. The tenth point is 
that just as God chose a man, Moses, to lift up the bronze serpent on the pole so that men might look and be healed, God has chosen men or people and not angels to hold up Jesus in the preaching of Christ crucified so that men might look to him and be saved. Eleventh point. Just as looking to a bronze serpent seemed to be a foolish means of healing poisoned Israelites, so looking to a crucified saviour, a publicly executed man, appears to some to be a foolish means in the world's eyes for the salvation of sinners condemned to death. It is, as is pointed out by the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Now, before we have the break, the last point. The bronze serpent was lifted up for many for salvation from the wrath of God and the deadly consequences of sin. Christ was lifted up for many for the salvation of men from the wrath of God and the deadly consequences of sin, just like the serpent. Only those who looked were saved from the poison of the serpent bites, and only those who look in faith to Christ are redeemed from the deadly bite of sin. We're going to have a little break and I'll go on straight afterwards. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Along the river by the bend near a Mississippi town was a place where my family loved to go Was a church house with a steeple And was always filled with people All the neighbors came from miles and miles around As a boy and as a man In the front row I would stand Raise my voice to God up in the sky Everybody joined the singing Till the little church was ringing With songs like in the sweet by and by In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore Oh, I've long been lost in sin I can dream me back again that nestles in my mind In the early part of May Delta nights were hot as day So we opened up the windows and the doors The congregation sat in fame Some with Bibles in their hands To the night the words of God would go Pray. 
precious memories How they linger How they ever flood my soul In the stillness of the midnight Precious sacred scenes unfold in the sweet, in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Though I've long been lost in sin, I can dream me back again to the little church that nestles in my mind. You may remember that earlier on I mentioned that snakes appear in the first and last books of the Bible. When God made the world and all that is in it, he made it very good. There was no evil, no corruption, no nastiness. It was beautiful. But all that was spoilt when the devil, Satan, a fallen angel came down here with many other angels he had brainwashed into thinking that he was better than God. Satan, through a serpent, beguiled Eve into thinking God didn't mean what he said when he instructed Adam and Eve not to touch the one forbidden tree that stood in the middle of their garden home. Unfortunately for us, Eve fell for Satan's lies, and death, evil, and corruption have been part of life on planet Earth ever since. And I might add here that there are many metaphorical serpents in the world whose main business is to deceive the innocent. Take, for example, scammers. They will do anything to trick you out of your money. Then there are those who present information that is false. And I regard those who teach evolution as among the deceptive and false information peddlers. What was that serpent in the Garden of Eden like? The Bible says in Genesis 3 verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. Obviously, this was a very intelligent creature. And it has been suggested that the serpent was in a different form than what we now know about snakes. One Christian writer has suggested that it had beautiful colours and could fly. After mankind fell into sin, God did something to what he had already created. He cursed the earth so that it produced thorns and thistles. Eve was cursed so that womankind would have painful childbirth. Mankind was cursed insofar as man would now have to labour to make a living. And the serpent, too, was cursed. And you can read all about this in Genesis chapter 3. 
In verse 14 we read, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. It seems that at this time, God altered much of what he had originally created. There was a kind of decreation, and ever since, snakes move by slithering along, as the Bible says, on their bellies. But also found in Genesis 3, in verse 25, God made a promise. He said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. There is no doubt that there is enmity between humans and snakes, because, as I said before, most people don't like snakes. But that statement by God was also a prophecy about the coming Christ, the coming of Christ, the plan of salvation, and the ultimate destruction of Satan. The devil has several different names. Revelation 12.9 reveals some of them, and here's what it says. That great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Some Christian groups have the mistaken idea that hell will be a place of eternal torment by fire. You know, that idea is wrong. Hell will be when God destroys the earth by intense heat, referred to as a lake of fire. The Apostle Peter describes what will happen in 2 Peter 3.10. And he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. You know, this is good news for those who are faithful to the Lord because this is when the devil will be destroyed. In Revelation 20 verse 10 it says, And the devil who deceived them will be thrown into the lake of burning sulphur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. Is this the end of the world? Well, yes and no. Because in Revelation 25, God announces that he will make all things new. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Ah, my friends, this will be a glorious time in the physical presence of God and without the evil and trouble that plagues humanity today. I look forward to this time, and I hope you are ordering your life to be part of it too.